0: It's time to Accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to Episode 691 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have a fun show lined up for you today. Joining me as my guest is Michael Gale. Michael's co-author, the Wall Street Journal bestseller, The Digital Helix, Transforming Your Organization's DNA to Thrive in the Digital Age. And so, as you might expect from the title of Michael's book, today's conversation is going to be all about digital transformation. The digital transformation that's occurring at light speed throughout the economy and what this means for your buyers and, more importantly, what it means for you. So, in our conversation, Michael will share some of his insights about the economic and financial impact of successful digital transformation on those organizations that do it correctly. We'll also talk about some do's and don'ts and how to avoid some of the pitfalls of digital transformation because there are some. And then we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about what the impact of all this transformation is on sellers and what you need to do as an individual seller or as a sales leader to be the person who will survive and thrive in this digitally transformed world. Now, before we get to Michael, a quick announcement. If you haven't yet joined the sales house, the only all-in-one growth accelerator for B2B sellers, there's still time to do it before the year ends and before we raise our price next year. So I created the sales house for one reason, to help you learn how to close more deals to make you look like a sales genius, to be the sales all-star for your team. And we do this by giving you the knowledge, the wisdom, and the advice you need to become the very best sales version of you. And You get unlimited access to coaching, content, and a community of like-minded, motivated peers who know that to learn more means to earn more. So come, come be the best version of you. In the sales house, visit thesaleshouse.com. That's thesaleshouse.com forward slash join, and we'll see you around the house. All right, let's jump into it with my guest today, Michael Gale. Michael, welcome to the show. Well, it's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. We've, we've, we, <laughs> we were just laughing before we started recording because you and I have, have tried to do this a couple of times. And we actually talk, but we end up talking about <laughs> our mutual love and obsession with soccer. And we end up running out of time to record an interview. So this time we're actually recording
1: something. This is fun. Well, maybe you should be running a, another soccer podcast sir because uh, this was a different conversation than the normal ones I've heard. So <laughs> incredibly intoxicating,
0: it is. It is. We won't uh, we won't risk boring the audience by, by talking about soccer, but I just want to let you know we could if people are interested. So let us know. <laughs> hours, th- and hours, and hours. hours and hours and <laughs> hours and hours and hours. Right. All right. The topic today we're going to talk about is digital transformation, and you know, this is this is a very interesting topic for me because especially in the sales world, which we're going to focus on here today, is, is I think they're making sort of the classic mistakes that, that you talk about in your book. And that what we're seeing is, is uh, sort of a digital <laughs> patina put on existing processes without really transforming things. And for me, transforming means that you're, you're changing the potential outcomes of what you can achieve. And that doesn't seem to be the case, so I want to dive into that with you. So, I guess first question really is, is digital transformation a given? I mean, is it it's table stakes now,
1: right? It's set up. Um, so let me answer it into well, I think it's actually beyond that. So I'll give you some setup here, and I think the challenge in a sales conversation is it's almost like when the sun comes up and the sun goes down, the sun comes up again, just talking about that rotation of, of daily Um, change in light may be enough for a conversation to sell you something. So there's two things we learned with the research uh, recently with Forbes and the book. Any form of activity associated with digital transformation will generate some sense of positive return. I think less than one and a quarter percent of occasions it doesn't. So it's a super easy conversation to have between a salesperson and a client. Look, if I sell you X or Y, you're going to see a change. So when you ask the question, is it happening? Yeah. Digital transformation is absolutely everywhere. In fact, it's so endemic in every conversation that happens. I think we estimated or calculated rather there were 14,000 conversations with vendors and customers about digital transformation in major corporations in America every single working hour of the day. It's 28 million a year. Mm. So it's like the sun. It comes up, goes down, comes up, goes down. You're going to get something positive if you do something. So for, for I think, any individual that says, hey, my service or product is digitally transformative, you're probably going to pick up something. It's like picking up gold on a beach. It's so obvious you're going to get it, but you're only going to get really small amounts. And clients are only going to get really small amounts of return because something like... 72% 72% of all the net returns that are generated with OPEX, CapEx, sg brand equity, everything else are going to just 28% of all companies because those that get it right and those that get it right with the vendors that sell product or service for them to get it right are literally laps ahead of everybody else right now. And so when you say it's an imperative, I actually think if those organizations keep going with that lead over time, they will literally put competitors out of business. There's a piece in The Economist yesterday that said something like 75% of active market share is owned by three to four brands in each of the segments those brands play in. Mm -hmm. So I think digital transformation would not just force a dominance, but could wipe out organizations that are not prepared to do it properly. Sort of it's a moment to get it right. Uh, And if you just want to pick up little flecks of Gold on the beach it's fine, but the guys that are getting it right are laps ahead of the others that are not
0: yeah and that that's interesting because i was I was really looking at it from sort of two perspectives one is and you know in the audience we have sales leaders and sales individual sellers and so on who who are using new generation of tools and technologies in the selling process, and at least what we're seeing from the data that's out there and and i wouldn't Claim that the data we're seeing about sales performance over the last five ten years is necessarily authoritative. but We have a number of data points, right? So taken together, if we want to draw some rough correlations, what we're actually seeing is during this period where we've had this unprecedented rush of of tools and technologies into sales, is this research external researchers sort are of saying, yeah,
1: but individual performance is dropping during that time. So- so, overall, I think it is. In fact, what we, we've gone through the same process, and I think I, I draw it like this like a buffet, and <laughs> <laughs> there's food all over the table. So, you're going to get some of it, you just rush to the table. What we have seen, though, is at law in, in extreme examples and cell situations mm-hmm. is that those that are good at adopting the tools and integrating with process. Are infinitely more successful than those that just use the tools, so yes, you can rush to the buffet, get a little of something, but it probably won't be nutritionally the right value, it may not be the highest value food on the buffet is that those that do it really well are extracting more, more value from these tools than ever before
0: yeah, I'm just thinking of of examples of of companies that are using the tools and that it's interesting because it's at least in sales is you know the first wave of early adopters of well the new tools and technologies were themselves technology companies mm-hmm. and you know there's sort of these unique growth curves and patterns in technology startups that are sort of independent i think of the tools and technologies they they use you know some having to do with the market itself as opposed to their ability to sell what their their digital tool is but but um yeah. I mean, as I think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it almost exacerbates the Pareto curve.
1: Right. So you see Citi versus Wells Fargo. And this is a classic sales scenario around this account. Citi had a system that was able, enabled them to build account profiles and account presence and account volume in a legitimate sort of way, whereas Wells Fargo did had exactly the same tools, were not able to do it appropriately or properly. And I think you can see this in businesses insurance, uh, USAA or Progressive versus a whole range of other firms have been much better at using these sales tools to find the right moments, to understand the customer's portfolio, and to encourage sales to have the right type of conversations. So I think increasingly, if you're five, 10% better than somebody, Year in and year out, which is what we're seeing in the current research, you are going to be infinitely better positioned to thrive in the long run. And I think digital is accelerating transformation, rather is accelerating that differential process. It's like you know, in soccer, I have to make one soccer reference. <laughs> if well, you have how a lot you of money, yeah, you're many. If you have a lot of money and you have an academy, you're going to be infinitely more successful than a team with one or the other, or actually not a lot of money either. And I think transformation amplifies differences in behavior, differences in technology, differences in process, and makes those that get it right better and better and better. And while the other guys may be going from you know five miles an hour to 10 miles an hour, they're not going to go to 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour. And that's that's where the, this, this phase in transition or transformation is so radical because it's truly separating out those that thrive with digital transformation and those that are you know having a a new paint job or a new piece of digital wrapping and getting something, but they're not fundamentally changing the way the business operates at its core well,
0: let's break it down though because I think one of the one of the things that really gets lost in the conversation is that at the end of the day digital transformation notwithstanding is is sales is still about a person talking to a person mm-hmm. and so let's let's take it down to that personal level so what you know, i'm me i'm I'm a seller you know Say I'm a prototypical B2B seller these days. What do I need to be doing personally to prepare for the transformation, to participate in the transformation, right? To to ensure that that I'm staying at the leading
1: edge of what's happening individually. Yeah, great question. I think there are three <clears throat> there are three pieces of paper you need to put in front of you, which is your own personal skilling. Uh, the way you frame current conversations and really how you use data. So let me let me talk about the personal skilling. What is very clear from all the research we did for four or five years was that sales functions that work extraordinarily well in a transformative world, their leaders and their players understand this concept of sales moments. Do you know all the moments that your customer or your prospect are thinking potentially about a product or solution, or an idea that you can actually connect into. It's one of the things that Amazon does extraordinarily well is they understand when their sales moments occur. So traditionally, we've always talked about the customer's journey, and it feels very linear. It's, It's not linear anymore. So don't think about it as a sort of moving from left to right or top to bottom or right to left. It's like a Catherine wheel, and you've got to actually work through and understand each of those potential moments when a conversation can happen That's valuable. And that level of account knowledge, that level of market knowledge, I will swear to you, is more important now than it's ever been before, but it's more complicated. It's sort of like on Sundays when people watch American football, they say, yeah, that's offense, that's defense, or that's special teams. Well, you know, if you're an offensive or defensive coordinator, you need to understand at extreme levels of detail what may happen during a game. Salespeople need to understand at extreme levels of detail how this customers' moments or the sales moments occur. Well, that means you.
0: Well, I was just going to insert for a second, and this is this I think is really a key point for people listening, is because I've written and talked a lot recently. uh, Gartner has come out with their research about buyer enablement, where they showed their research showing that that the buying journey, the buying process, is yeah it's not a linear stage driven process as, as sellers envision their process but it's this uh looks like you know a wiring on a <laughs> on a complicated electrical you know uh system or you know throwing two hands of cooked spaghetti against the wall i mean it's it's those the connections are not obvious and the process and the progress the way you you measure progress is not obvious and so to your point is this idea of being Really intimately involved and have an intimate understanding of of your buyer and their what's happening inside the buyer becomes more and more important. I agree with you. And
1: you have to live it. You can There's no books. I mean, when we wrote the. Realized even talking to people like Hallmark or USAA or you know large industrial operations, that that level of retraining the sales mind to get away from the journey construct and, and enter this sort of spaghetti of moments is a vital asset you'll have as you move from one company or one unit to the next because you you're increasingly going to become an offensive or defensive or special teams coordinator you're not just a player. You've got to understand that landscape, how it connects together to be successful. And that, that demands time and attention and a heightened sense of listening skills that I think we've not seen before. I think it's really vital. And that also requires you to be much better at social selling. And I know it sounds like an old-hatted thing to say, but because clients have almost complete control of how they do things nowadays, mm-hmm. if, if you are not connected to see in those sales moments as they occur, if you're not connected socially in some way to the organization, to other people, to them, it's really difficult to find that moment, that spark in the sky when something happens that's a viable conversation. I'll give an example. You know, traditionally markets have, you know, quarterly cycle and they also have annual cycles too, whereby there's key buying parts of the year or parts of the quarter. Well imagine if there becomes key parts of buying during a day or during an hour, or actually when two or three things collide together, Mm -hmm. that may completely supersede our traditional view of calendar-based buying cycles. Uh, And I think to some extent, really smart sales functions are increasingly rereading these undertones and the sort of tea leaves to retrain their salespeople to be very sensitive socially to what may be a spark or a trigger they can pay attention to. It's not just a press release anymore. You know, if you're going to sell to a large B2B account, you may want to be following, this sounds crazy, the top 1,000 decision makers in that account, literally. Mm -hmm. And that's a different level of social, emotional, human interconnection than we've ever seen before, but that's how you're going to have to fish for business. Well, and it's
0: interesting, is you hear you say this, and, and I agree with you, yet at the same time, these same organizations that employ these salespeople are bringing in these you know, new generation of tools that they say, "Well, this tool will
1: do that for you." <laughs> so let me. I give. I will give you a great and, analogy. Why I laugh at that because it's like buying one player and assume you're going to win in a game because of one player. It never happens that way. Yeah, well, I think,
0: but I think this is one of the conundrums that we face in sales is that. I mean, I would, I would have killed early in my career when I was carrying a bag to have had some of these, these tools and technologies. But by the same token, I'm not sure I would have been any better at applying them than the companies are today, right?
1: Well, I, you could give a medieval knight a spaceship or a tank, but if you don't know how to drive, <laughs> it's not going to work. So I think it's the old classic field of dreams. It's naive organizations attempt to replace human capital with technology really smart digital thrivers know how to integrate technology to make their people the best version of themselves and if need be automate some processes that really humans shouldn't be dealing with and i think it's that's literally exactly. to me that the number one statement is, look, do you want to give a medieval knight a tank or do you want to teach somebody how to drive a tank and how to use it but also find gasoline because that's when you're going to get the best value. And I just think any organization that buys technology for technology's sake in the transformative world is putting a patina on their organizations, as you've said, and they're not actually really transforming functionality and output.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think of some of the tools that, that sales organizations use for reaching out to, to prospects and there's been, I said, it, sort of a, an explosion in the quantity of these, these tools. And sort of the hallmark they talk about is mass personalization at scale. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, but it's actually about personalization in the moment. If you could personalize right. something to you at 9.15 that worked for you at 9.15, that's what it matters. I mean, I, you know I put a lot of pressure on organizations like Salesforce because they've tried to fit a very jelly-shaped market into a very fixed bowl, and they've tried to scoop out things of the standard shape. Mm-hmm. Great, great selling is about intimacy in the moment and delivery of the promise. In fact, exceeding the expectation right. so that your cost of sales reduced and your margins go up because they buy more. It's, that formula's never changed. Technology doesn't have that sensitivity unless it understands the exact moments, which we don't, and it understands the contextual flow of process. And I think that's trying to use a wrench to build a car. You've got to build a complicated set of tools because the selling point, it'll become like a stock market where 96% of transactions you know, may be done by AI. But the reality is those transactions are incredibly simple. They're based on one variable, which mm-hmm. is price. And humans shouldn't be doing that anyway. Right. Nothing else. But you know, VCs don't buy companies based on an AI engine and nor do equity firms, because those types of decisions are complex and require risk arbitration. That's not something a machine is capable of doing around unquantifiable variables. Well,
0: and this process as you just described it, risk arbitration is something that every buyer does <laughs> when yeah. they're making a decision about who they want to work with. And this is this is where the human this ability for a human to still, as you said, be intimate with and to form a connection with another human i think you know, becomes
1: an increasingly valuable skill yeah, particularly in a transformative world where we're so used to you know a non-hand touch mm-hmm. physicality but the decisions we have to make are the same as the ones we've had to make before so you know and i and people always say oh, machines can do it I'm like, well if that case why can't nfl teams hire great coaches because surely you could look at their resume and do some sort of psychological testing And the stats, you'd have a great coach, right? Just doesn't happen. It's the same with quarterbacks. So, even in industries where people are paid, you know, ten, twenty, thirty million dollars a year, uh, you know, high mission critical jobs in sport, we've never been able to to succinctly use technology to solve it. And that's truly what most sales conversations and sales situations are like. They're not transactional. They're not easy. And there's an awful lot of grey variable management that just can't be calculated on a spreadsheet.
0: Well. Right. They're not they're not easy. Unfortunately, we've got too broad of a segment of sellers who are trained that it's it is a process. It is easy if you you know, we've defined these personas for you. If you just say these words in this order to this person, I'm simplifying a little bit, but I mean some of the training <laughs> sort of falls almost in that category, that you know, you're gonna open the door to riches
1: and it's it it's more there's more than that. Yeah, we used to run experiments. I ran a company called Micron uh, back in the late 90s. And we had about 700 salespeople uh, in a PC environment. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful place for experimentation because they all sat in pods of 6 to 10. And we literally ran living experiments between highly scripted, relatively uh, low-paid compensated staff on fairly transactional product. And then we'd run slightly less scripted. Then we'd run almost no scripted at all. And the difference in result between the far left, none same product being sold to extremely intimate, even on volume Mm -hmm. was like 10 to one. It was a 10 to one difference. And it's a highly transactional piece. So humans require humans in order to give, yield, deliver high-value, high-capability, low-return-based product. And I think the same is true in a digitally transformed environment, is that to get this right, you've got to understand a customer has a portfolio of experience, there are moments, not journeys to manage, and it's about how tools make you a better version of yourself, Mm -hmm. not how tools substitute the human function.
0: Yeah, I I had a conversation, I was presenting to a group in New York a couple weeks ago, and and this topic came up about, you know, how often should you go or should you even leave the office to go talk to a customer? <laughs> and, well, you, you might think it's funny, but the fact is there are a lot of companies, especially in the software space, that that say, look, you know, we just we don't do that. We can't afford to do it. And and so I sort of did a little quiz. And I said, okay, well, you know, who sells product with, you know, average lifetime contract value of more than $100,000? Much people raise their hands. I said, Well, how many of you go travel to meet prospects? Almost none. And I was like, You're trying to say if you have a lifetime contract value of $100,000, you can't afford a $300 plane ticket to go see the prospect. I said, If it were me, I'd go see the prospect. And if I was your competitor, I'd beat you 99 times out of 100
1: just by virtue of being there. And there's a deeper, actually, mathematics to this, which is if you have a lifetime value, you have to sustain something, humans hold other humans' hands. AI doesn't do that. And secondly, I, I bet if they'd actually run tests, they'd yeah. actually recognize that. Their failure to run tests in their own environment to validate you know, A versus B or C is a process shows a very shallow uh, sustainable equity. Because then what they're doing is being a compliant player in a market. They're not attempting to be a leader in volume or marginal customer equity. And they will get tripped up because you can't try and cut your cost into a sort of subscription business and hope it works. Look at the cable industry. I mean, the story of ESPN is a great example. Mm -hmm. ESPN was jammed on everybody's subscription Mm -hmm. for 20 years. Right, Half the people that Never, ever watched it. They never received a communication from ESPN. They never were treated like customers. Well, when they could cut cables, boy, did they cut cables. And ESPN's lack of intimacy and connection with those individuals just using their channels has probably destroyed the basic economics of ESPN. And you can see that Disney's contemplating moving, spinning it, get rid of it, because they never spent time generating customer loyalty when they had control. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's I. But there's sort of part of the issue is I think, and this gets back to a broader topic for you is is you know, anytime we have these these shifts, these you know, fundamental shifts, you know, digital transformation being one of them, is you know, sort of the broad swath of the market buys a playbook. You know, a book is written. This becomes the playbook. This is how you do it, and. Yeah, to your point earlier, they don't really test the assumptions, because that book was written by somebody that was uh, had a success with a sample size of one. And this is what happened, has happened in, in Silicon Valley with the way they build teams for, for SaaS companies, software companies, is based on the experience largely of one person in Salesforce, smart guy, very smart guy, they had success. But it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah, This is the playbook that's being forced on everybody. Now, finally, you're starting to see in the last year or two companies saying, well, hmm, we all had this model sort of forced on us by investors. And, oh, yeah, doesn't really work quite as well
1: as we thought it would. And people forget with Salesforce, you know, this company originally did very little advertising, did a superbly large amount of local events in Des Moines or Maine or, you know, in Bangor, Maine or in, you know, Tampa. But they got very, very intimate because Mm -hmm. that's how they learned. Mm -hmm. And then they suddenly abandoned the intimacy and said, let's just stuff on the digital drivers. Well, what's happened is a lot of the applications they've bought have not had stickiness because I buy A. Why do I want be? You never speak to me. Never call me. You don't understand my business. And it comes almost down to that mcgraw Hill ad from the sort of 50s or 60s, which is you don't understand my business, how can you sort of ask for it? And I think there's a realize that there's a more complicated economic model behind successful selling in a digitally transformative world that requires the automation at one end and it requires the intimacy at the other to start knitting together. And it's a separation of those functions that I think is damaging businesses. You've got to have intimacy and automation effectively as part of one sweater. They can't be separate pieces of clothing. And they can't substitute
0: no the technology for the intimacy and this this is this is so tempting to people because sales is <laughs> yeah, sales costs, is, well, sales is hard, right I mean it, it's yeah. hard it's hard to go out and have conversations. it's hard and if I could find something that's just made that easier or made it so I didn't even have to have these conversations, wow, that'd be fantastic.
1: If you were CFO, see that's, that's a wonderful CFO statement. It's like, oh, selling It's like a spreadsheet. Uh, no, it's not. It's as uh, you know, Theodore Levitt said, it's the absolute essence of how a company functions. Right. And I we've and I think the consistent movement away from intimacy. Yeah, let's have our own annual, you know, user conference. It is a really concerning sign of us trying to dehumanize a human process to satisfy bean counters. And I'm sorry to any CFO listening, but there's, a, there's an outcome of behavior uh, that comes out of this constant anxiety about OPEX, sg and mm-hmm. uh, that underestimates the equity value. I'll give you a piece of research we just finished. So we interviewed execs in the Global 2000 about digital transformation, and we asked them about a whole range of areas. The 18% that thrive, I mean, really do extraordinarily well. If they focus on A, They said they were getting amazing output on, you know, objective areas, B, C, D, and E. And what you recognize was if you do it right, you you mix intimacy and tree skilling and moments and portfolios together, a whole bunch of other amazing things happen. The problem is operational and CFO individuals don't like hearing that because it feels a bit soft and gooey. We're able to measure what the implica- yeah, what right. the multiplier effect right. was. The multiplier effect was measured by their customers as five. So if I try to change sales to be more digitally orientated with all the correct variables, I got other changes in OPEX, CAPEX, things far outside traditional selling because everything is so connected in a digital economy. And that to me was the perfect example of this sort of human digital ripple effect and how it should be thought about in sales, not as in like an automated box here. And yes, we go and see the top three accounts every year that way.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I was just laughing while you were talking about that earlier because, yeah, I mean, you can look at, i see seen so many companies that, let's say they're trying to make the transition to more of an inside sales presence which, on one hand, people are saying, well, we're really justifying this because the tools and technologies exist for us to be able to do this. And at some level, if you're really transactional, it's fantastic. But you're seeing it trying to be applied into situations where there's, the intimacy is really required, the, the intimate knowledge of what's happening in the buyer is really required. And at that point, you know, well, that's really being driven by the financial guys. You know, we're, we're staying in the office. We've got this model because everybody thinks it's too expensive to travel it's like it's like there's this vision you have this generation of of people that are saying well back in the the good old days you know sort of the pre-internet days um, <laughs> people were just traveling willy-nilly right they you know, just got oh, on yeah. a plane and just left and and <laughs> they parted on southwest because yeah, you know southwest is such a right, great airline right and i i i was giving this example to an audience i spoke with and i said well i spent a good chunk of my career selling really expensive communication systems, infrastructure, you know, millions of dollars worth at it. a shot companies around the world. And I might sign, you know, a four million dollar deal with a company in Europe. I might have seen them twice in person to sign the deal. I wasn't you know, I wasn't living there. I mean you have to use travel strategically. You know, you have to have to have your methodologies to develop either connections and the relationships and so on. But yeah, it has to be driven by by need, not just by um, we seem oh, to have anybody lost...
1: that really... I mean, I used to run a global business out of Austin, Texas back in the 90s, uh, from zero to about a $50-$60 million dollar uh, IP consulting firm. Uh, trust me, I didn't like flying. I mean, it, it is an unpleasant experience. Uh, and anybody that hasn't done it, that says it's a sort of party activity, <laughs> generally, that's like saying to someone who's putting fires out, oh, that must be nice and warm. It's an awful process. Yes. Um, and it, it, yes, mistakes happen because they do. But gosh, the one thing in sales that's true is you learn from mistakes very quickly you don't have a job. So it's very questionable if anybody travelling in sales that's not getting returns at some measurable point is trying to abuse the system. It's just impossible. And you wouldn't want to do it and the system's built to say there's a cost, your time, uh, your travel expenses. If you can't after a certain period of time get that to work for you, change the method or change the person. So, you know, to my more nasty responses, unlike financial management models that can be abusive for years before they get caught, uh, salespeople that aren't performing correctly will get caught very quickly. So there's a natural sort of um, Darwinian cleansing system in sales that you don't see in other parts of the corporation. Yeah.
0: I mean, yes, absolutely. But I think that that what people have to understand is, and serve as a final point we're making here is, yeah, as you go through this digital transformation process, It is intrinsically about becoming more human, not less. Mm -hmm. And this is, I think, a a fundamental misunderstanding people have of this. They hear and they think that, yeah, we can use technology substitute for all these human functions, including sales, which is the most human of the functions that affect your business. And my belief is, and I think you agree, it's, it's actually the opposite. It's actually the demand for the intimacy and you know, the insights and the real deep knowledge about your prospect and the moments, as we as you talk about, because that's the same term I use, is moments, not processes. We have moments, become more important.
1: Yeah, it's almost it's the rarity. It's the it's a beautiful gold block below the surface, even if it's only three inches below, that has exponentially more value than ever before. I think that, you know, as I said, 20 percent of organizations are getting 72% of the upside of all the upside across all these major corporations because they're going below the surface to intrinsically change it doesn't mean you abandon intimacy in fact it means it's more precious and it should be managed more mm-hmm. but i i do think you're right that the sort of genesis of this is this sort of VC-funded, you know, uh, cloud SaaS-based sales model that feels like, oh, I could just press a button and it happens. That's the magic, you know, 0 SGNA. That's just not the way big sustainable licensing deals happen. You have to go and see people. In fact, the best example of this transition being done, well, I think is Microsoft. The way that people like Judson Altorf of others have managed the transformation of the way they sell, and it's a tough journey, I think is incredibly uh, effective because they value intimacy, they value content, they value ideas. They're not going to get rid of it, even though they vast the majority of what they sell now is press a button and a license loads. They, and he's I think, successful because of that Oracle past mm-hmm. where everything was highly intimate. It's just finding that right synthesis, that right cooking point that should be the discussion, not student body left or student body right. Yeah, I love it. I love it.
0: Well, Michael, we're going to have to do this again. This was fantastic. Um, and yeah, we will we will do it again. But tell people how they can get in touch with you and, and learn more about what you do.
1: Yeah, so the book is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. It's called The Hit Digital Helix. Uh, drop me an email at Michael at Or frankly grab me on LinkedIn. I post probably five to seven times a week about this sort of stuff. Uh, we're really helping organizations digitally transform all their functions, because sales is a part of an ecosystem. And our view is, look at the book, read the research, and hopefully we can inspire and frankly prepare you to do a better job of it, because the, the patina may look nice, but the really successful transforming organizations get down to their DNA.
0: Yeah. Well, and attentive listeners will remember that, that I previously had uh, Michael's Business partner Chris Aaron's on the and co-author, <laughs> sorry on the on the show, and we actually spoke more specifically about the book at that point in time. So if you want to go back and check that episode out, make sure you do that. But uh, Michael, thank you very much. No, thank you. What fun. Yeah, we'll we'll chat soon. Okay, friends, that was accelerate for the week. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, and I want to thank my guest Michael Gale. Join me again next week, as we have actually a repeat episode. I'm going to be on vacation, so we're going to have a couple weeks in a row of repeat episodes, taking some of the best episodes from 2018. Next week, talking with my guest, Harvey McKay. Now, before you go, don't forget to check out Sales House. As I said, the only all-in-one sales growth accelerator for B2B sellers. Visit thesaleshouse.com. We'll see you there. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.